0: Okay, let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 28. If you want to give this a name, you can call it Maintaining an Open Heaven. Maintaining an Open Heaven. Deuteronomy 28, we're going to begin with verse 23. We're all familiar um, with this chapter as uh, you know, containing a list of blessings that would apply to the obedient and curses that would apply to the disobedient. And the blessings begin in verse 1 and go up to verse 14, and the, then the curses begin to be listed from verse 15 onward. And um we'll just start with this verse. Verse 23, and thy heaven that is over thy head shall be brass, and the earth that is under thee shall be iron. Now this verse describes a closed heaven. The heaven over thy head shall be brass, some translations bronze. Now we don't find the word closed heaven. We don't find the term closed heaven in the King James Version, but seven times it refers to heaven being shut up, which is the same as closed. Seven times in the King James Version it refers to heaven being shut. And the scriptures reveal heaven can be opened and it can be closed or shut up. So we want to know how to live under and maintain an open heaven in our lives, and what things can cause heaven to close and prevent us from receiving from God. Because once we are aware of these things, then we recognize them and we want to avoid them. Um, Just a little background here. Uh, After Adam and Eve brought... Uh, the curse upon the earth and all future inhabitants under the devil's authority, God had to have a way to legally operate in the earth and, and bless mankind as he originally had intended. And he approached a man named Abraham and he made a covenant with him. Today we would say a contract with him and Abraham agreed to it and God promised Abraham that if he would obey him and keep his word and teach and train his children, God would bless him and all his descendants for future generations that continued to obey God and serve him. So by keeping God's word and being faithful to live for for God, the blessing uh, would continue to be passed on from one generation to the next. We know in Galatians 3.29, it says, And if you be Christ, then are you Abraham's seed, and heirs according to the promise. So Jesus was a physical descendant of Abraham. And because we are born again, because we are in Christ, we've been grafted in uh, as the spiritual descendants of Abraham and partakers of the same blessing that God promised Abraham. Now, uh, one of the blessings here we look at, there are many blessings here, but in verse 12, we see one of the blessings here, and I'm going to read it from the NIV. It says, The Lord will open the heavens, the storehouse of His bounty, to send rain on your land in season, and to bless all the work of your hands. Now that sounds a little bit like Malachi 3, doesn't it? About uh, opening the windows of heaven. So as long as they obeyed God, they would live under an open heaven and enjoy God's blessing and protection. And verse 15 to 63, he lists all, all these curses that would result uh, from turning away from God and following other gods and not keeping his word in his, his ways. So God wasn't threatening them with a curse. The curse was already there, thanks to Adam and Eve. The curse was already out there. And God was making a way for them to live on this earth but not be affected by the curse that was already in the earth. God could still bless them and, and they uh, would not have to experience the effects of this curse so God loved them uh, people oftentimes read this uh, chapter and it says God I will bring this and I will bring that and so forth it, it's the tense of the verbs there have been uh, translated in the causative tense uh, and it's and it when you just read it at face value, it sounds like that God's bringing these curses on people, which he wasn't. This whole chapter is a combination of instructions and warnings and an attempt to bless and protect the people. Now, we saw here in verse 23 one of the curses. The heaven over thy head shall be brass and the earth that is under thee shall be iron. So if they didn't keep his word they would close the windows of heaven over their life. And then they would be exposed to the curse that was already out there. Now, a closed heaven means no rain and no harvest in the natural. And for people, from a natural standpoint, for people who lived in an agricultural society No rain and no harvest would be a catastrophe. Now, the word open heaven is mentioned 18 times in the Bible. The term windows of heaven are mentioned five times in the Bible. Genesis 7, we're not going to turn to all these, but you can just write them down. Genesis 7, referring to the flood of Noah. It says uh, the windows of heaven were opened. Genesis eight, the windows of heaven were stopped, and the rain from heaven was restrained. Second Kings 7, uh, the story about the famine in Samaria, it was so bad uh, that people were eating their children, and uh, they Things like a donkey's head and dove's dung for food that were being sold for food and people were paying astronomical prices for them. That's how bad it was. And Elisha prophesied and said, Tomorrow, about this time, there's going to be plenty of food and it's going to be cheap. And one of the experts in the government said, If God opened the windows of heaven, that could never happen. So that's another Reference to the windows of heaven. Twice. Uh, twice there in Second Kings 7. It talks about the, the same dum-dum. said, if God were to open the windows of heaven, this could never happen in 24 hours. Well, it did. Malachi 3.10, we're familiar with. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house. And prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, If I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing. So if you put all of these scriptures together, we have references to living under an open heaven and living under a closed heaven. And they're both connected to people's actions, beliefs, and decisions. And they were not limited to just finances. If you read, all of uh, Deuteronomy 28 here, and if you read Leviticus 26, it also refers to uh, the curses there in Leviticus 26. Uh, Whether or not God's people lived under an open or closed heaven would affect their health, their mental state, their children, their provision, and their personal and national security. So what we're going to examine in this study is, other than not tithing, are there other things that will close the windows of heaven over our lives? And if there are, we want to be aware of them and avoid them. According to the Bible, there are many other things that, figuratively speaking, will close the windows of heaven. So uh, other than tithing, there are things that we're, that can close the windows of heaven. So let's um, let's turn to Matthew 23 just briefly. It's possible to be a tither and yet have other hindrances in your life that will drive, drive you under a closed heaven and and hinder you from receiving the blessings of God and we have a perfect example here Matthew 23 23 Jesus is talking to the scribes and Pharisees he says woe unto you scribes and Pharisees hypocrites for ye pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have omitted the weightier matters of the law judgment mercy and faith these ought you to have done and not to leave the other undone. So the Pharisees were prime examples of people who tithed but lived under a closed heaven. They meticulously tithed off of every grain of increase, but their actions and their thoughts and their words and their beliefs cut them off from the blessings of God. Their motives and the way they treated other people was just horrendous. Now, let's... Uh, you can write down Malachi 3, 9, and 10. We just read verse 10. Beginning in verse 9, we're, we're going to talk about the, the first obvious uh, reason for living under a closed heaven. We're going to talk about maintaining an open heaven by examining things that will close heaven and and avoiding those things. So we're going to look at it from that point. Malachi 3.9 says, You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts. If I will not open you the windows of heaven, and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. Now, in the word of faith circles, we are familiar with this scripture, and we're going to begin our study uh, with the predominant reason why many Christians live under a closed heaven is not tithing. There are preachers, churches, and entire denominations that exempt themselves from the biblical principle of tithing. And many will point to Galatians 3.13 that we just quoted a few minutes ago. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us. Now, and they will tell you that because Jesus was made a curse for us, the tithe no longer applies to the New Testament believers. But there are some problems with this argument. Number one, the tithe did not originate with the law of Moses. It's true that God included the tithe in the law of Moses. And, and the law, by the law, we're talking about the first five books of the Bible, called the Pentateuch. That's what we call the law. Um, but Abraham tithed to God 430 years before the law of Moses. So that's one, one or it will not stand up to that argument. Uh, we've actually mentioned before, the tithe actually goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Secondly, the second problem with that argument is Galatians 3.13 is referring to the curse of the law. And that's what Jesus has redeemed us from. Uh, The penalty for not keeping God's law was threefold. Poverty, sickness, and spiritual death. That's what Jesus has redeemed us from. That's the curse that he took for us. Uh, It's true that there are parts of the Old Testament that no longer apply to us as New Testament believers. Uh, Primarily the animal sacrifices that were required The shedding of animal blood in order to cover the people's sin uh, was required under the Old Testament until Jesus came and he became the one time sacrifice for the sin of of the whole world and all those that believe on him. Uh, So Jesus was a fulfillment of. Of all those all those animal sacrifices were required until Jesus came and he was the Lamb of God who was sacrificed on the cross for the sin of the whole world and all those that will believe on him. So all those ceremonial sacrifices have been done away with. Thirdly, the curse mentioned in Malachi three nine is not talking about the curse of the law, it's referring to a self imposed penalty for violating a God-ordained principle. Um, For example, uh, in the New Testament, if you take Ananias and Sapphira, uh, they drop dead on the spot for lying to the Holy Spirit about their giving. Now, God, was, God didn't strike them down with a curse. God wasn't cursing them. God doesn't curse Christians. Their actions brought on themselves a self-imposed penalty for sin. And in their case, it was a drastic penalty. <laughs> That's pretty drastic. But contrary to popular belief, all the ordinances of God in the Old Covenant have not been eradicated. Uh, Human nature is self-centered. And by tithing, we put God first and we acknowledge Him as the source of all increase and blessing. And by bringing the first tenth of all our increase, we acknowledge that God has first place in our lives. We won't turn there, but you can write down Leviticus 27.30. It says, and all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy unto the Lord. Holy just means set apart, separated unto God. So if you believe God's word, then you cheerfully return the first tenth of your increase to God. It's it's set apart and it belongs to him. God says right here, it belongs to him. It's set apart for him. So failing to tithe is one of the ways, uh, it's the most talked about uh, way to, to close or shut up the windows of heaven. But this is not bad news, this is good news. Because this is the only place in the Bible where God says, you put me to the test in this matter. Nowhere else in the Bible does God say, you prove me and see if if I do what I say. Only to the tither. In Malachi 3 does he say, in this matter you prove me and you put me to the test. So that's that's good news. Let's look at another uh, cause of a closed heaven. Uh, Let's turn over to Matthew 6, back a few pages. A second thing that will cause the windows of heaven to close is having the wrong priorities. Having the wrong priorities. In Matthew 6, in verse 25, he starts out talking about the material necessities of life, what you eat, what you drink, and what you wear. He goes on to talk about how he provides for the birds and the flowers. And then in verse 31 and 32 he says, don't worry about the basic needs of life like the unbelievers do. And then in verse 33, that's our main scripture here, he says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. The Amplified Bible says, but first and most importantly, seek aim at, strive after his kingdom and his righteousness, his way of doing and being right the attitude and character of God and all these things will be given to you also now the word seek here means striving after, to make pursuit strong intense desire. To covet earnestly, to research, to investigate, to consult. An open heaven is the reward for pursuing and submitting to the authority of God's kingdom. Now here are a few promises. Uh, we're not going to turn there. I'm going to read them, but you just write them down. Proverbs eight seventeen to 21. The NIV says, I love those who love me, and those who seek me find me. With me are riches and honor, enduring wealth and prosperity. Sounds like an open heaven, doesn't it? My fruit is better than fine gold. What I yield surpasses choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness along the paths of justice, bestowing a rich inheritance on those who love me, and making their treasuries full. Uh, The Living Bible says, I love all who love me. Those who search for me shall surely find me. Unending riches, honor, justice, and righteousness are mine to distribute. My gifts are better than the purest gold or sterling silver. My paths are those of justice and right. Those who love and follow me are indeed wealthy, I fill their treasures. Proverbs twenty one twenty one says he that followeth after righteousness and mercy findeth life, righteousness and honor. The NIV says Whoever pursues righteousness and love and love finds life, prosperity and honor. So you see these words coming up seek, pursue. Follow uh, Psalm 34, 8 to 10. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. Oh, fear the Lord, ye his saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. Now that sounds a lot like Matthew six 33, doesn't it? Second, Second Chronicles 26, 5. And he sought God uh, in the days of Zechariah. I think this is talking about uh, Uzziah, I think, King Uzziah. He sought God in the days of Zechariah, who had understanding in the visions of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. So all these scriptures describe living under an open heaven. The worldwide English New Testament says uh, the kingdom of God is not about... uh, This is from Romans. I didn't write it down, but... um, Uh, The kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Yeah, what we were singing. I didn't write the scripture down, but I think it's Romans 4, maybe. Uh, But the Worldwide English New Testament says, The kingdom of God is not about what a person eats and drinks, but it is about living in a way which is right with God. It is peace, it is joy, because a person has the Holy Spirit. Uh, we won't turn there, but you can write down Luke eighteen twenty. The Pharisees asked Jesus when the kingdom of God would come. And Jesus said in verse 21, it's not coming with observation or visible display. In other words, it's not something you physically see. And he said in the Amplified, nor will people say, look, here it is, or there it is, for the kingdom of God is among you because of my presence. Some translations say the kingdom of God is within you. What does your say, Mika? Romans fourteen seventeen. Okay, Romans fourteen. I was 17. thinking okay. Romans fourteen seventeen. Uh, Nor will people say, look here it is or there it is, for the kingdom of God is among you because of my presence. The kingdom of God is not a geographical location or a set of rules. Um, It's A kingdom is wherever the king has dominion. It's a relationship between a king and his subjects. Uh, The kingdom of God is whenever and wherever a Christian allows Jesus to rule and reign in their life. So it, it's, it's the government of God. It's how he operates. Jesus said the whole kingdom of God is if a man should cast seed into the ground. So it, it operates on the, the laws of seed time and harvest. That's the way God operates his kingdom. It's how we receive from God. For some Christians, Jesus is their savior, but he may not be their lord. He may, they may not have submitted every area of their life to the lordship of Jesus, and a self-willed lifestyle will close the windows of heaven. But when we pursue and strive uh, after God's way of doing and being right, which is the amplified translation of Matthew 6:33, the way God operates, His attitude, and his character, then heaven opens for us. Jesus said, if we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things that we need, what you eat, what you drink, what you wear, all these material basic necessities of life would be added to us. That's an open heaven. Uh, I said to someone recently, if you will make God's business and affairs your top priority, He will make your business and affairs top priority. Amen. A third, we're we're going to look at one more reason today that will cause the windows of heaven to close and, and hinder you from receiving the blessings of God. Let's turn to James chapter 1. Another, this is another major hindrance to many Christians receiving from God and they can wind up living under a closed heaven James 1 verse 7 and 8 for let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord a double minded man is unstable in all his ways So double-mindedness, being double-minded can can close the windows of heaven and and be a major hindrance. So when we talk about closed heaven, again, this is not just talking about finances. This, you know, this can affect your prayer life. You know, I mean, if the windows of heaven are open or or closed, um, then your prayers are not getting through. If there's something that's that's blocking uh, your receiving from God, something that's causing uh, the windows of heaven to be open. And, and, uh, you know, people may be saying, well, I've been tithing, I've been giving, and things are not getting better, and they're getting worse. And if this has been happening for a while, people need to start taking an inventory. Uh, You know, if they've been doing, the, the basics of tithing and giving, if if a period of time has gone by and things are just getting worse and worse, then they need to start investigating, taking inventory of their life. What Where am I missing it here, you know? So that's why we want to uncover some of these things that may be quite subtle, you know? Um, so in James 1, 7 and 8, we find where he says, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Let um, not that man think he shall receive anything of the Lord. Now, let's distinguish between being undecided and being double-minded because they're not the same thing. Sometimes, uh, you know, we think we're being double-minded, but we're just being undecided. We find uh, an example... We won't turn there for time, but you can write down uh, Matthew 21, 28 to 31. Uh, an undecided person is a person who can't make up their mind or they change their mind. Now, people who change their mind can receive from God. That's, we, we can change our mind uh, you know, all, all the time. But that's not the same as being double-minded. But we find in Matthew 21 an example of uh, people who were undecided. Jesus told this parable. He was talking to the Pharisees again. But what think ye? A certain man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not. But afterward he repented and he went. So he said, no, I'm not going. And then he changed his mind and said, yeah, I'll go. Um, and he came to the second and said, likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir. And he didn't go. So he said, yeah, I'll go work in the vineyard. And then he didn't go. So he changed his mind. Whether of the twain did the will of his father? And they said unto him the first. The one who said, I'm not going, and he changed his mind, and he went. Jesus saith unto them, Verily I say unto you, that the publicans and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. Now, (laughs) Jesus was not very politically or religiously correct, was he? He just had a way of getting straight to the the bottom there. But neither of these men were double-minded. They were just undecided. Uh, and uncommitted about their decisions. So this is just an example of people who were undecided. But being double-minded can close the windows of heaven and prevent you from receiving from God. Now, the word double-minded here in James, in the Greek, means of two minds or wavering. Of two minds. A person split in half. That's what the um, one of the lexicons says. A person split in half. A double-minded person is a person who is drawn in two opposite directions. They're drawn in two opposite directions. They vacillate or they waver between faith and unbelief. At times, they're speaking the word of God and and you know, maintaining their confession and standing and all, and believe in God. And at other times, they drop their confession of faith, they start talking the problem, and they start doubting that God's going to come through and anything's going to change. So, let's look briefly how does this work? Uh, being double minded. Well, according to this word here in the Greek, We have uh, two minds. We have a conscious mind and we have a subconscious mind. And double-mindedness is caused by a conflict between your conscious mind and your subconscious mind. For example, you hear teaching from the Word about His goodness and divine health, His promises, His abundance... Spirit, soul, body, and financially, and your your spirit gets excited about it. Your your conscious mind gets excited about it, uh, and you are you're drawn toward it. You're drawn toward. This is good news, and and you think, aha, there is something better, and you get excited about it. Um, And the reason you get excited is because it is not natural for anybody to want to be poor. It's not natural for anybody to want to be sick or defeated. And your conscious mind grabs a hold of that. Now, uh, while your spirit and your conscious mind are being attracted to this good news, All the while, something quite different may be taking place in your subconscious mind. For example, over the years, you may have developed preconceived ideas about God and Jesus, uh, half-truths, lies, uh, mistaken ideas, but your subconscious mind embraced those things as the truth. And they could have just been things that you heard somebody say. Uh, People quoting something, attributing it to the Bible when it was never even in the Bible. Uh, Misquoting scripture or taking it out of context. Um, You heard or read something that cast a negative light on healing. Or you read or heard something that cast a negative light on prosperity. Influence from preachers and teachers and family, and TV and movies and books and all this information. Uh, you know, uh, maybe even paintings of Jesus. You walked into a cathedral somewhere or something, and you saw a painting of Jesus, and he was wearing a white sheet and barefooted, while all the religious people wore the finest garments and. Gold jewelry, and they had all the finest. But Jesus is portrayed in kind of bedraggled and white sheet, and you know barefooted. So you, all this information that accumulated over the years, leads you to believe that Jesus was poor, and Christians ought to be poor. And millions of people have come to this conclusion. Uh, you know, you may know somebody that prayed. Uh, to be healed, and they were not healed. And you conclude, well, it's not God's will to heal everybody. So you conclude that all poor people are honest, and all rich people are dishonest. So you can see this conflict between what your spirit and your conscious mind uh, desires, to see the goodness of God and experience the goodness of God, yet your subconscious mind is warring with it. And, 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 well, that's not what Uncle So-and-So said, and that's not what my preacher in my church when I was growing up said. So you see this, this conflict between your conscious mind's desire for health and to prosper and your subconscious mind challenging that, with unscriptural ideas so you see this war taking place this is double minded the desire to be in health and have more than enough while at the same time your subconscious prosperity is telling you that prosperity is wrong and God does not heal everybody that's double minded now you can see this conflict you're of two minds a person split in half so when this conflict's taking place, you're of two minds, and how can you receive from God? You know, the, you're, the, the windows of heaven, you've got a hindrance there in receiving from God because of these preconceived ideas challenging the word of God. So... The windows of heaven are closed. James 1.7 says, A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Let not that man think that he res- will receive anything of the Lord. Now, what's the solution to this conflict? To getting your spirit and your conscious mind and your subconscious mind all into agreement. We talked about it a few meetings ago. Make the Word of God final authority in every situation. God's Word must be final authority. And it's going to take a while to uproot some of those old ideas and the old information and replace it with the Word of God. You need regular Bible study. For yourself, you check out what I say. You check out what other people say. You don't just accept what you hear. Everybody say. I'm not saying that you question every Bible teacher, but you you well, that's not a bad idea really. Yeah. <laughs> to you 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 should question the things that you hear, and you need to be checking it out for yourself in the Bible. Uh, We don't challenge what the Word says, but you may need to challenge. You may need to question what you hear every Bible teacher telling you. If it does not line up with the Word, it needs to go. I don't care how many churches they built or how many TV stations they're on. Um, So check out what others say. No more listening to somebody said that somebody said the Bible said. We need to study the word of God for ourselves. Does God's word teach that healing is not for everybody? Mm-hmm. No. So why do millions of Christians come to that conclusion? The word of God doesn't teach that. Does uh, does it teach that Jesus was poor or that he had abundance? Does it, uh, you know, does does it... We have to do scriptural studies on these topics, these areas of life. You must study to show yourself approved, 2 Timothy 2.15. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So, only a scriptural study will reveal. Did Jesus ever refuse to heal anyone? No, and the only way you're ever going to know that is to get in the scripture for yourself and and start studying it and not just letting every Tom, Dick, and Harry tell you the Bible said and somebody said the Bible said. Um, Is there any scriptural evidence that Jesus was personally poor or his ministry was one of shortage? No. So... The Word of God is the only thing powerful enough to force out these unscriptural ideas that have built up in your subconscious mind over all these years and to bring them into agreement with the Word of God. Your spirit, your conscious mind, and your subconscious mind, when they all get in agreement on the Word, the windows of heaven open. And you're going to receive, and you're not going to have any hindrances and obstacles to receiving. So you can see where years and decades and hundreds of years of the traditions of men have placed people in a position of being double-minded and this constant living under this constant conflict, not being able to receive from God. Um, I mean, if you if you think about it statistics tell us people have done this research they, they tell us uh, in fairly recent years that about 18% of the body of Christ tithes now that means the majority of the body of Christ has been laboring under a closed heaven for most of the church era is it any wonder why? We haven't seen more miracles, and we haven't seen more healings, and we haven't seen more uh, abundance and provision. We, we, the, you know, the whole body of Christ has been laboring under this. But we as individuals, we don't have to. Amen? We can come out. Hallelujah. We can live under an open heaven. So, <clears throat> you're Spirit and your conscious mind desires prosperity. It desires good health. It de- desires a victorious life. And, and uh, getting in the Word and forcing out all this wrong teaching, the Word's the only thing powerful enough to do that. You're not, your subconscious mind isn't going to change just because somebody said that somebody said. You, you need to see it in the Word for yourself. 3 John 2, Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health even as thy soul prospereth. That's what your spirit desires. That's what your conscious mind desires. It's your baggage of all these years of unscriptural information. that's uh, That's where the conflict is. And that's what you got to eradicate. Romans twelve two calls this process the renewing of the mind. The process of bringing your subconscious mind into agreement with your spirit and your conscious mind and forcing out all, all those unscriptural ideas. The New International Revised Version says, Don't live the way this world lives. Let your way of thinking be completely changed. Then you will be able to test what God wants for you, and you will agree that what He wants is right, and His plan is good and pleasing and perfect. Open heaven. Amen? So, regular study, replacing unscriptural ideas with biblical truth. Meditating on a scripture, seeing yourself the way God sees you. No more listening to the traditions of men. Jesus said the traditions of men will make the word of God of no effect in your life and the windows of heaven will close. Well, we're not having that. Amen? Amen? Amen.